Welcome to Conversations About Government in Iowa. This Iowa Legislative Services Agency audio program consists of interviews conducted by the Fiscal Services Division staff. Each brief conversational interview features an expert answering questions concerning a topic of interest within an Iowa State agency. Robin Madison and Laura Book, analysts with the Fiscal Services Division of the Legislative Services Agency, met on November 9, 2017 with George Oster, former Executive Director of the Fire Service Institute at Iowa State University to discuss the role of townships in providing fire protection and emergency medical services. I'm Robin Madison with the Legislative Services Agency and my colleague Laura Book is with me and we're here today with George Oster, the former Executive Director of the Fire Service Institute at Iowa State University. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, my pleasure. Our purpose today is to provide a historical perspective in regard to the role of townships in providing fire protection and emergency medical services. So I think we'll start by asking you to just briefly describe your background and your career and your current role. Well, sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I started as a volunteer firefighter in West Des Moines when it was an all-volunteer fire department in 1965 while I was going to Drake University. And after graduation, I spent a couple years teaching, but learned that that wasn't my chosen profession. So I became a full-time firefighter, and subsequent to that, I became a fire inspector and then a fire marshal. And then I was appointed the first full-time fire chief in West Des Moines in the mid-70s when it was experiencing tremendous growth, and they needed to begin to have full-time staff. In 1977, I went to work for Iowa State University at the Fire Service Institute, holding many positions there. But I think the most important last 10 years or so of my career, I focused on researching and educating regarding the fire service in Iowa, how it was formed, the social aspects, the political and structural components of emergency service delivery here in Iowa. I retired in 2002. And since then, I do consulting with fire and EMS departments all around the state regarding their financing, regarding their social structure, assisting them in setting up nonprofit corporations, working with townships, developing contracts, and those sorts of administrative issues. Let's start with historical overview, township fire protection and EMS in Iowa. Mm -hmm. So when was the law governing this first established and how has it changed over time? Prior to 1975, there were no requirements for fire protection or EMS service in rural areas. Only cities were required to provide protection. In 1975, the legislature believed that fire protection should be universal. So that year they passed a law requiring every township in Iowa, in addition to every city, to provide fire protection. In that law, they made provisions of emergency medical services optional at the discretion of the uh, townships. That is also true in cities. So after 1975 then, every township is required in some way to provide fire protection. Now that doesn't mean have a fire department, they just have to ensure that fire protection happens in their townships. Now, historically, there were four interesting things that happened after 1975. Three of them were unintended consequences. One was dictated by the legislation. First of all, there was a land rush. The large city fire departments, Des Moines, Council Bluffs, Sioux City, those types of larger cities, said we don't want to protect outside our city limits. And so they did not contract with townships. The well-organized volunteer departments saw this as an opportunity to increase their funding because with land comes funding through the townships. 
So they grabbed every bit of land they could, including some very bizarre land grabs. There was a contingent then, a fairly sizable one of small, less organized volunteer fire departments, and they were left in the dust. Whatever was left over, they took. So today, and I, I know this is a term popular in the vernacular day, but I've been using this term for 25 years. We have the most gerrymandered system of protection districts with no rationality, no relation to the benefit of distance or capability of any state in the country. My favorite district is up in northeast Iowa. So imagine a crescent-shaped district with a dot over here. <laughs> That's the district. So this city and its surrounding townships must respond through other districts to get to this dot over here. Will they give up the dot? No, because that means less funding. So that was one of the consequences that we have today. Second of all, the system unfortunately pits cities against cities and townships against cities and townships against each other because territory equals money. So there's no incentive to change the current boundaries that were established pretty much in 1975 despite changes in economics, demographics. The road system has a tremendous impact on emergency services as we expand our four-lane highways, divided highways, restricted access highways. We divide fire protection districts, but we won't change because if we change, we potentially lose money. That was a second consequence. A third, we unfortunately created a governance and a financing system in Iowa that creates very small financing and governing districts with little political, social, or economic capital. Just some numbers as an example, and I don't want to overwhelm you with numbers, but there are 872 fire departments in Iowa. For those, there are nearly 3,000 separate governing and taxing bodies. Now, yes, that's made up of about 1,900 townships. Each one has responsibility to fund emergency services. There are 940 cities, each one with a similar mandate. There's about 50 benefited districts left in our state. We'll talk more about those later. There's maybe two dozen or so 2080 agencies, although nobody's ever counted them, so we don't really know. And then there's a scattering of uh, corporate fire departments, uh, nonprofit corporations. Again, we don't know how many there are for sure. And then EMS is a very mixed bag because there's so many different entities providing EMS services and they're so blended with fire departments. But roughly maybe there's 600 or so different EMS, emergency medical services departments uh, in the state. One more number, there's about 80% of the fire departments, the vast majority, protect population bases of 5,000 or fewer people. And in today's economics, that's very difficult to support a fire department with the tax base that 5,000 people produce. Now, there was a fourth consequence of this 1975 law. This was foreseen and enacted as part of that legislation. Prior to 1975, we had a law, Section 357B of Iowa code that allowed benefited fire districts. Now, benefited districts, or as they are commonly called fire districts, are used in virtually every state in our country. Imagine a school district. The boundaries are determined by the local residents for school districts and for fire districts. The districts have authority to provide a service, fire and or EMS protection in this case. They may tax and they may bond. But the law in 1975 forbid any new benefited districts. So we no longer have the capability of providing benefited districts. And therefore, cities and townships have few mechanisms, if any, 
uh, viable mechanisms to join together to produce a district large enough with a large enough political, social, and economic capital to support emergency services. Now, I know they have the opportunity to do the 2080 agreements yes. that you referred to. Mm -hmm. What are the disadvantages? Why is that not happening more? Well, first of all, the advantage. We'll skip the 28E now. With regard to emergency services only, now, there are three classes of 28Es, as they are commonly termed in the vernacular, 28Es. Well, there are three different classes. One is a contract, as we think of as a legally binding contract. The most common form is a township contracts with a city to provide fire and or EMS services. There's a second type of 20E called a 28E agency. Now, this is when two or more government entities, cities and townships in this case, would join together to provide the service of fire protection. Neither the city nor the township own the fire department or run it. It is run by a board, which is comprised of representatives from each city and each township with from it. The major disadvantage here, though, to an agency is that they have no authority to tax or bond. So we're still left in the quandary, what do we do about the disparity between cities and townships and how they fund emergency service? That doesn't solve the problem. So that's the disadvantage to 2080. Now the advantage is, I must say, it is the one viable method that cities and townships do have today to join together in an agency. I mentioned that there are three types of 28Es. There's the contract. That's the way most townships receive their fire protection is through a contract with a city because most cities have fire departments. There's about 100 cities which do not, but most do. Then there's the 28E agency. The third is an agreement. An agreement is just a simple agreement to do something together. In this case, in the emergency services, it's called mutual aid. And we have virtually almost 100% mutual aid among all departments in Iowa. Now that's mutual aid to provide service in times of emergency. And it's a very good way to increase the size and capability of your department. The downside is that while the cities and townships could provide joint services through 28E for many, many things such as purchasing, buying insurance, equipment, vehicle ownership and so forth, almost exclusively they partner through 28E, they provide mutual aid just for emergency services. They haven't taken it to the next step because nobody is training them or assisting them in doing that. I'm curious, and we've talked about this before on the phone, you and I, counties are not involved in this equation at all. Is there a reason for that? Well, I guess the reason would be, and this is going to sound like a circular argument, but the reason would be that there's nothing in the legislation that requires almost nothing in the legislation that requires counties to have anything to do with emergency services. In fact, I remember in the year 2000, looking historically, and that's when there was a, a major change in township requirements. We'll talk about that later. But there was a provision made in that law that if a township was not doing its responsibility, in other words, would not contract or would not pay a city for emergency services, the city could ask the county to take over fire protection in that individual township. And I remember when that was being debated, the counties through the Iowa Association of Counties raised heck over that. The counties and the supervisors wanted nothing to do with emergency services because they saw this as an added burden to them and they already had enough to do. So generally, counties don't want anything to do with emergency services, and there's no state requirement for them to do that. Now, that's different than other states. Some other states do assign responsibility or give it the authority if counties so choose, but not in Iowa. That's interesting because when Laura and I did some research into township governments <clears throat> a year or so ago, we learned that, for instance, the U.S. Census Bureau does not 
consider Iowa to have a township form of governance because mm -hmm. they view townships as just a subset of counties in the way that things are set up in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And yet in this instance, counties... It's interesting, and I've often been accused, contrary to my true beliefs, of wanting to do away with townships, and I certainly do not. I only want uh, citizens of Iowa to have good fire protection and there are other ways than requiring townships to provide it. Right now, townships have three authorities. One, to provide emergency services. The other is to resolve fence disputes, and the third is on cemeteries. And I have found cases where townships were taxing more to protect the dead, to fund their cemeteries, than they were for fire protection. Mm -hmm. Now, all you have to do is look at that and see where we stand. Townships can levy taxes to cover the costs mm -hmm. of providing fire protection mm -hmm. and emergency medical services. Mm -hmm. So is the levy adequate? Are there other sources of funding that they use? How's that working? Well, I think we only need to look at this basic bit of information. The township levy of 60 and 3 4 cents per thousand dollars of taxable value was established in 1975. It hasn't been changed since. Now, you look at the demographics particularly the economic demographics in townships, and you look at the cost of fire and emergency response equipment today, and you'll know whether or not that's adequate. Cities are struggling. In fact, our research uh, when I was at Iowa State showed that the vast majority of Iowa cities are subsidizing the cost of emergency services in rural areas because the rural areas just cannot pay their fair share. We had a funding formula that, in fact, to, to this day, it's promulgated as a way to determine the cost share between cities and townships, but almost universally, it will demonstrate that cities are subsidizing the cost of emergency services in townships because they cannot levy enough taxes to pay for their share. There were two significant code changes that we need to discuss with regard to emergency services after 75. First of all, in 1995, the state legislature took a look at benefited districts and said, you know, these really aren't such bad things. They're pretty good. And so they allowed, under 357 F and G, they allowed benefited EMS districts. So we cannot form benefited districts for fire protection, but we can for emergency medical services. Now, that law is not used very much today for two primary reasons. First of all, there are some idiosyncrasies in the law. For instance, it does not allow cities and townships to form a district together. Only townships and only cities can join together to form a benefited EMS districts. And also, it removed agricultural land from the district, which is townships, yeah. <laughs> mostly. There's also no training or help for EMS departments or fire departments providing EMS to form benefited EMS districts, so it's hardly used today, although it should be, in my judgment. And then in 2000, there was another change that occurred. The legislature took a look at townships and realized that they were not often living up to their responsibilities, so they passed a law which allowed counties to assume emergency service in a given township, but in addition, they required townships and cities to share budget information prior to the budgeting process so that townships could adequately, to whatever degree they can, fund emergency services and develop the contracts that are needed. They also required that the contract between any 28E contract between any municipality defined as townships as well as cities providing or receiving emergency services must do so in writing. In other words, they must have a written 2080 contract. Now, what I find is that even today, 17 years after that law was passed, many cities do not, and townships do not do that. They're not written contracts, they're just handshakes. Mm -hmm. That maybe worked in the old days, but 
life is way too complicated today and emergency services too complicated to not have contracts so I spend some of my time assisting cities and townships in getting contracts so those are the two major changes that occurred since 1975 when the township law went into effect. What are some of the other challenges facing townships in providing these kinds of services and any ideas for how those can be addressed? Obviously benefited fire districts is an option. Are there others? There are three major challenges which face both townships as well as cities because in reality they're in this together. First of all, it's lack of volunteers. Unfortunately, I don't believe this is rising yet to the level that we'll hear about it very often in the newspaper, or it might not even rise to the legislator's level of information, but there is an increasing incidence of emergency calls, both fire and EMS, which go unanswered. And this occurs during the day. There are no volunteers in town because we have bedroom communities. Now, a solution to that is consolidation because then fire departments would be much larger, have staffing, perhaps a whole county or a whole district, and would have somebody to respond. Mm -hmm. But that's a very serious situation. In fact, that happened in Polk County, I believe it was around the year 2000 or so. Even in Polk County, a township on the north side of Des Moines, their township fire department did not respond to a tractor rollover and an individual died. And a senator, I think she was a senator or representative, Jerry Huser, enacted a law which sought to solve that problem to some degree. It was a law that affects only, and this is the third law change that happened, that affects only Des Moines because of the way the law is written, only a county of above a certain population. It removed the responsibility for fire protection from townships and placed it in the county health department. And then the county health department is responsible for contracting on behalf of each township with the individual cities in Polk County to provide emergency services. So that change was affected just for Polk County. I mentioned the problem of volunteers, which is a very real problem. And I started as a volunteer, I'll say that, and most of the firefighters and EMTs that I work with are volunteers, so I love them. And they're doing a wonderful service for our state. We could never provide the emergency services with a full-time paid staff in Iowa. It's not possible. We have to have volunteers. But unfortunately, they lack the information and the education and also the time to do anything about this. So state legislators don't hear from them. They might hear from me, but what am I, just an old retired academic and I don't know anything, but the local volunteers do, but they don't have the time or the resources because they're overwhelmed with response and training and maintaining their vehicles and fundraising to support their department that they can't articulate to the legislature what their needs are. So I believe lack of information, education, and assistance for implementing these alternatives or implementing legislation is a second major roadblock. The third relates to that. It's a lack of information about the alternatives to providing emergency services. The need for training about 28E and how that's used, how benefited districts could serve the state. All the opportunities for using 28 to jointly purchase insurance, as an example, which is a huge cost to small communities. Mm -hmm. And yet, we have a county up in uh, northeast Iowa that joined together the whole county to buy insurance and save thousands of dollars every year just in the simple matter of insurance purchases. But there's a little education and training and assistance to local townships and their associated fire departments to learn that information. Mm -hmm. So those are the three challenges. You asked if there were other sources of funding mm -hmm. for emergency services, and I think we should talk about those okay. because it is significant for legislators to understand the situation. Virtually 
easily 98% or more funding comes from our two smallest units of government, cities and townships, for emergency services. Through tax levies. Through tax levies, that's exactly right, through tax levies. Now, the state does provide some training and uh, certification services through the Fire Service Training Bureau, which is part of the State Fire Marshal's Office. There is some limited help from the federal government through the Assistance to Firefighter Grant Program and another program called Staffing for Adequate Fire and, and Emergency Services. Those are administered by FEMA, but they primarily focus on full-time firefighters or on limited equipment and so forth for volunteers, and equipment is not the problem. We have plenty of equipment in Iowa. It's the volunteers and the training that's needed. Fire departments also have the capability of charging a fee for service. Virtually all EMS services charge a fee for services because insurance pays for that, although we're receiving quite a few reports of how that's declining now with changes in Medicaid and so forth. But regardless, fire departments have the ability to charge a fee, but most do not. Now that's for cultural reasons in many cases. 25% of their funding depends on donations fundraising that the volunteers are doing well their view is that if they start charging a fee then they won't get their donations and overall it'll be a zero-sum game and they won't gain anything most insurance carriers provide a response in rural areas on your homeowner's insurance or even farm insurance to pay for fire response and yet few fire departments know that or charge for a service so there are some additional funding sources available but in essence virtually 98 99% comes from cities and townships and their taxing authority. If you look at our structure in Iowa of providing emergency services and funding it, and if you look at what other states are doing, even South Dakota is doing this, we need benefited districts again. We need that authority. And it's not a mandate. It's only given local jurisdictions, local citizens, the authority to do something that they might want to do anyway but don't have the capability of doing it. So if the legislature were to do one thing, they could reinstitute Section 357B. It needs some revisions and so forth, maybe combining with 357F and G on EMS districts. But bottom line, we need to have fire districts and EMS districts in Iowa again. Okay. That would be my concluding thought. All right. So I want to thank you for joining us today, George, and, and appreciate all the information. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to do that. If you need more information, please give me a call or email anytime. Okay. We will do that. Thank you.